The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. fans and welcome to another live recording of the under the dome podcast i am your host ben belden we are here to uh, react to what was i guess what you could call another scary win for notre dame maybe even venture to say it was a little bit lack i mean i know that i used the adjective lackluster against ball state i can't really think of a better one at this point um we're going to talk about all that here in a second i was at the game this weekend I was feeling pretty good when we were up 13 to nothing. I was feeling pretty decent at halftime when it was 16 to 3 and then things changed quite a bit. I probably lost a few brain cells, a few um years off of my cardiovascular health from my heart beating so fast for a couple seconds there. So <laughs> all of that taken into account, Notre Dame got the win. They're 3 and 0. It's tough to argue with that, but like I say, I'm maybe getting ahead of myself just a little bit. Before we uh, get started here and I bring on my co-host, Jack Leniart, I just want to get a couple housekeeping things out of the way before we bring him on. First of all, um, make sure you're checking us out all across iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all of that stuff. Uh, if you're in need of a landing spot for that stuff, go to UN, or I'm sorry, not UND.com, underthedomend.com, and um, you'll find a nice little website that... It, brought back from the Golden Domer Daily Days, and that's a good landing spot for all of the podcast links and whatnot. So you can find all of our live stuff there. In the next couple of weeks, then, we're going to be adding some of the uh, the video and the live streaming to a different extent. We've I've done a lot of, I don't know, experimentation the last uh, couple of weeks with some new software and that type of thing to see if we can improve the live aspect of the show. So we're actually kind of uh, I doubt anyone's watching on YouTube Live, but we're on YouTube Live right now. So if you are watching on YouTube Live, thanks. Um, but anyway, so that stuff's going to continue to improve. The more I experiment, the more things happen. So I really want to bring that live aspect of the show. So tell your friends, write us a review on iTunes and all of that stuff, and check us out all across the web. Lastly, I want to say, um, you know, both Jack, who I'm going to talk to here in a second, and I are writers at slapthesign.com. So make sure you're going over there. Notre Dame written word is, you know, at peak performance. We're, we're at peak midseason form here. So uh, make sure you check us out. That's slapthesign.com and at slapthesign on Twitter. So all of that out of the way, um, let me actually bring on my guest here. Jackman, how's it going? It's going well. All right. All right. Before we get started, I've got a quick ad that I'll uh, play real quick, and we'll be back with some content after that. The Under the Dome podcast is thankful to the great people at Electrosound who graciously donated audio equipment and accessories to help make this podcast sound awesome. 
If you're in the market for audio consulting, the purchasing or renting of equipment, or any other audio needs, make sure that you check out their website at electrosound.com. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I sound.com. All right, Jack, you still there? Yes, I am. Wonderful. I did that transition a little bit better. So um, before uh, you know, we really start diving into the types of things that I want to talk about in that type of situation, let me just ask you the most general of all questions, which is kind of like, I mean, how I like to do it here. But you know, what were your initial thoughts during and or following the game yesterday? Well, I think, obviously, especially in these past two weeks, um, you know, coming into the season, you, I think most fans viewed these two games as just an opportunity for Notre Dame to kind of get out to a comfortable lead and, you know, allow some of their starters on both sides of the ball to rest. So the fact that they weren't able to do so is disappointing. Um, and I think the, the struggles that we, we've seen offensively uh, thus far um, are a little bit concerning, uh, but I think it's stuff, stuff that they still could fix potentially moving forward. Um, but at the end of the day, like, Yes, there are problems, but it's better to you know be working to correct these problems. Sitting at three and zero heading into your first road game of the season, then you know with one or two losses in your record. Yeah, I I don't know. Saturday both gave me hope to a certain extent and soured me to another extent, which is why I think this podcast might have kind of a unique tone, a unique flair to it because I kind of just don't know what to think. Um, certainly it could be worse. You know, we, we could have accumulated a loss in one of those three games and we didn't, and certainly it could be better as well. But, you know, so it's really hard for me, I guess, to, uh, put my finger on exactly how I feel to a, to a certain extent. And I don't really know, you know, and I'm going to try to parse through it here on this podcast. I don't really know whether to feel hopeful or whether to feel kind of pessimistic because I had high hopes coming into the season, Part of me still holds out hope for those high hopes, but part of me is just like, man, um, I don't know. So I guess the good news, though, is that some of Notre Dame's opponents that I was worried about, like Florida State and USC and a couple other games, are not looking real real good. Um, so I guess we can hold out hope for that. Then again, Syracuse looks better than I thought they would. So I, I don't know. It, it, a mixed bag of mixed emotions here, but let's get right down to it and uh, talk about the offense and uh, you know the quarterback situation here. So, um, do you want me to give my thoughts on the quarterback situation first, or do you want to go? Um, hey, it's you're the host. You can go first. All right. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know. I've been planning for this podcast just in my head. As I, you know, made the four and a half, five hour drive home from Notre Dame today and exactly how I wanted to parse this. And here's the best that I can come up with. You know, if we look at, first of all, let me ask you this question, um, because then you'll be able to tell me if I'm crazy or not. Notre Dame has the personnel and the talent on offense to be scoring more than a little over 23 points per game, in your opinion. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm not alone in that opinion. Um, you know, let me just ask you this question then. Um, who is at fault for, and this could be more than one person, but who's at fault for Notre Dame's offense being held back? 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely more than one person. Um, you can look at the offensive line and um, some of their struggles that you know make it harder on some of the other players and Brandon Wimbush to kind of find a rhythm. You can look at Brandon Wimbush and his decision-making in the passing game. Um, and you, I guess if you want to, you could even – uh, criticize some of the play calling in, in, in some scenarios. But, yeah, I don't think one specific player or coach um, shoulders all the blame there. Uh, it's uh, just, you know, a couple different areas where there's definitely room for improvement. Okay. So I wholeheartedly agree with you, by the way. Um, I also think, and just to piggyback off of what you said to keep going, like until Saturday, I didn't think that the running backs were doing Notre Dame any favors either. Um, and I thought that both Tony Jones and Jafar Armstrong ran a lot harder. Um, and when I say a lot harder, I guess I don't necessarily mean with more effort. I, I got to be careful how I put that. I mean, they were trying in the other two games. I'm not trying to say that. But I think, you know, somebody, whether it was Audrey Denson or Brian Kelly or whatever, went to went to those guys. And, you know, one of the criticisms was that, I thought that the running backs were trying to be, and it's kind of hard to you know put an adjective to this, but maybe they were being too picky. I think about you know sometimes when there's not a hole there, you just have to get your pad level lower and just get into the pile and grind out two three yards, and that's what good running backs I feel like do, and that's what Josh Adams had done. That's what I think a running back like Dexter Williams, who has the experience, would do and will do when Notre Dame gets back. And I just thought that they were hitting the whole, they being Jafar Armstrong and Tony Jones Jr., a lot better um, and a lot harder and a lot faster with more reckless abandon than they did in the first two games. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you agree? Yeah. So I, I think we all kind of shared the same opinion going into the season where, I mean, even with Dexter Williams in the mix, um, we weren't sure if Notre Dame had that one guy who could be just their clear-cut workhorse in the backfield like Josh Adams was for them last season. But, I mean, we knew Tony Jones Jr. had that potential to put up numbers like he did yesterday. Uh, and what Jafar Armstrong has shown in the first three games has been extremely promising. So uh, having those guys show that ability that they can be productive and then bringing Dexter Williams back into the mix um, makes you feel a little bit more hopeful for the running back production moving forward. Um, and, and just really because, I mean, at that position, you know, there's going to be some attrition as the season wears on, um, you know, guys get dinged up and have to, to miss some time, hopefully nothing too serious. Uh, but I mean, we've learned over these three games uh, that, they have guys in the backfield who can, you know, get hot. And in those situations, to kind of just ride the hot hand. Like, I don't think a lot of people were expecting Tony Jones Jr. to uh, lead the backfield in in carries this past week um, after what Javar Armstrong had done in the first two games of the season. But um, he, he was running well, so they kept feeding him the ball. He ended up finishing the game averaging about seven yards a carry. So he's, he's just shown you that he has that potential. And I think... I mean, obviously, you'd still prefer to have, you know, that one guy who you can say is your, your clear-cut workhorse, but um, having options doesn't hurt either. Yeah, and, you know, I uh, I don't know. I guess I feel maybe just a little bit vindicated, although I haven't gone back. I, I usually watch the game a second time because 
you know, it's hard to see intricate things the first time when you don't want to go back and rewind and then miss a play and then get caught back up and that type of thing. When you already know what happens, it's easier to watch it a second time and look for certain things, I suppose. So I haven't done that yet. You know, I was in the car all day mostly. Um, but I, I felt a little bit vindicated that the offensive line played a lot better because I just thought, and, and my suspicion is that to a certain extent, they eliminated some of doing some of the things that they're bad at, which was, you know, I didn't see Tommy Kramer pulling as much. Um, you know, a lot has been made of he's a good blocker once he's engaged with someone, but when he has to go get someone, he's not the greatest blocker. Um, I, I just think that they did some things where they, um, you know, when he was pulling, it was to get out in front of a guy and, you know, go after and just get in the way of a defensive back or something like that. Um, rather than trying to get out and you know block a defensive end or something like that. I, I think there were some adjustments made on the offensive line, which is what I wanted to see and what I thought could happen. Now, as we get towards, you know, I don't think Wake Forest's defensive line and linebackers are going to give us exactly fits. Um, but once we get towards Stanford and Virginia Tech, I think we'll learn a whole awful lot about whether the offensive line is going to be able to, uh, you know, do that consistently or not. Um, so I was a little bit vindicated, I guess, to wrap this thought that the offensive line could perform better than what it was doing. Now that we've talked about, I guess, some of the positives on offense, here's what I want to say about the quarterback situation. I kind of teased this, but but I got off on my own you know, tangent about other stuff. So the way I look at it for this Notre Dame football team, and you can tell me if you feel differently, um, first of all, the defense – is playing what I would call um, maybe not lights out football, but they're playing pretty darn good. And, you know, I heard a lot of people like walking out of the stadium yesterday, like, oh my gosh, we would have lost that game if Aloe Gilman hadn't forced that fumble on the one and ball, and if so-and-so wouldn't have done this or that. And I'm kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, there's some fairness to saying that, but like, that's what good teams do, right? Like, that's what a championship defense does is they win games for you. And that's, I think, what Notre Dame's defense has done three times now, to be honest with you. The way I see this team taking a step forward is figuring out the quarterback situation. I just, I can't, and I, I guess my biggest issue is that it seems like Brian Kelly doesn't think that there is a quarterback situation. I don't know if you caught his conference call comments today, but he essentially attributed some of the, you know, starting hot but then cooling off struggles to a young offense that just needs to play together more. And that just made me want to pull my hair out because I just look at what what's going on here and I just look at it in a, the lens that well, there's nothing too much to criticize with the defense. The offensive line improved. I think the running backs improved. And then it comes back to the passing game. And the passing game is really the only thing that I didn't see improve in this game. And I just don't think that Brian Kelly sees it as any type of an issue. And that has me frazzled. How about you? Um, yeah, I think I, I, I certainly think it's it's something that could you know end up biting them um and in one of these games coming up uh you you know you you hoped that through three games this season i mean obviously after last year you know the whole the whole storyline um leading up to this season was just brandon Wimbush. like can he improve as a passer 
um, you know, after posting a, a season completion percentage under 50%. Um, and I mean, there's a fair amount for opticism, just, you know, kind of giving him a pass since it was his first year as a starter. Um, and, you know, we were all just kind of holding out hope that he could improve over the off season, but yeah, he just hasn't really done a whole lot to inspire hope in these first three games. Um, I still think Notre Dame can win with him, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just tough to, uh, you know, at, at this point you're kind of just like taking a leap of faith saying, you know, he'll, he'll figure it out. Uh, you know, just, we'll just keep at it and Brandon will just, you know, kind of come into his own, but there, it's just too many occasions where the decision-making is just not quite what you want it to be. Um, but that, I mean, that being said, like he, and I think um, a lot of people share the same views that he just brings an element to this offense that no other quarterback on their roster can. Um, and so you, you kind of have to weigh that decision and, and figure out, all right, is his, uh, is what he's giving us in the passing game? Is that, is this the struggles there outweighing, you know, what he brings to us, you know, on the ground? Um, and the plays he can make with his legs. Uh, so, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, the storylines get continued throughout the season. Um, if, if, if Brandon's, you know, the starter um, throughout the rest of the games, and if Kelly doesn't uh, decide to, to switch over to Ian Book, then, yeah, this is going to be the conversation week in, week out. The way, and I'm glad you said this, because this is something I wanted to mention, um, you said that you think that essentially that the ceiling with Brandon Wimbush is higher than any other quarterback, right? So that said, you know, I feel the same way. Um, I, I think that this, if Brandon Wimbush was the perfect version of Brandon Wimbush that completed 58% of his passes, he doesn't even have to go out there and complete 60 some like other college quarterbacks often do he just has to go out and complete enough more than the 49.5 or whatever that he did last year um and run the ball effectively then that ceiling i think is definitely higher for the notre dame offense the problem is we're not even reaching that ceiling and i just don't understand to a large extent like when we're going to stop trying <laughs> so i don't know like there's there's the phrase that if you ask a fish to climb a tree you know it, um it'll think it's stupid because it can't you know to a certain extent like i feel like we're asking a fish to climb a tree uh now it's not that extreme it's not like brandon can't complete passes that's a lot of hyperbole that i'm using right there i get that but i just wonder and i just wonder why we haven't tried to figure this out yet if you know i think our ceiling as an offense, if Brandon Wimbush was doing some things better, making better decisions is pretty high. But right now, where we're topping out at with Brandon Wimbush making bad decisions is lower than what I think the ceiling of the offense would be if you played Ian Book. And I just, I, you know, I just keep going back to like we've got to do what we have to do on offense, whether that's starting Ian Book and maybe even using Brandon Wimbush as a change of pace, doing the opposite and starting Brandon Wimbush and using Ian Book as a change of pace, or, you know, going to Ian Book full-time, I don't know. Um, but I, I just, it's discouraging, I think, and it's lacking creativity from the offensive standpoint to, uh, to not try these things. 
And I, I just I can't help but think in the back of my mind like, oh my goodness, we're going to spend this whole year mindlessly banging our head into a brick wall with Win- Brandon Wimbush at quarterback, and then we're just going to ruin a national championship caliber type defense. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, what we've seen through three games is, you know, their, their package with book, you know, they, they put them in there in, in short yardage situations, a lot of times in the red zone or in goal to goal situations. Um, and I mean, he's been effective so far. I mean, what was it like his first three handoffs went for touchdowns or something like that. Right. Uh, and, I mean, I, I mean, I for one didn't see this specific package of Ian Book coming before the season started, and I'm still trying to kind of like wrap my head around it uh, as far as what the the coaching staff like sees as the advantage of Book over Wimbush in those short yardage situations. But it's, I mean, it's been effective enough so far. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially against Ball State after Wimbush threw that third interception, um, I thought for sure he he would have been pulled out. And I guess, I mean, I'm sure part of it is that Brian Kelly, after committing to Brandon Wimbush, kind of doesn't want to, you know, kind of like hurt his confidence too much this early in the season. Um, I mean, I'm sure like the coaching staff is is capable of making objective decisions about which quarterback to play, but I I still think – that kind of comes into play with this decision here. Um, And yeah, I don't know, maybe uh, just because they felt a little bit more secure in, in that game against ball state, you know, they, they felt comfortable sending Brandon back out there. But I thought that um, if he was ever going to get benched in, in favor of Ian book, that would would have been the time to do it. Well, okay. So here's the thing. Um, And, I, I'm going to give my theory on why Ian Book plays in in Brian Kelly just today, called it like not even the red zone. He calls it like the blue zone, which is five yards and in. I'm going to give my theory here in a second, but this will be like a long-winded kind of thing. So, you know, I don't understand, I guess, what the issue is to a very certain extent where you go to Brandon Wimbush because you mentioned, you know, if maybe if he gets benched, you you lose him to a certain extent, and I get that. I mean, I, I understand that completely. Um, that's kind of what happened, I think, to Malik Zaire. I mean, they had, you know, he he wasn't engaged as the second string quarterback when you know they picked Deshaun Kaiser, and when Deshaun Kaiser was struggling, for instance, last week or last year, not last week, against uh, two years ago, I guess I should say, not last year. Uh, you know, it all blurs together. But when he was struggling against like Stanford, for instance, and then Malik Zaire comes into the game and uh, just, you know, high snaps and missed throws. And it's just, it's like, was that guy even ready to play? I, I get why you don't want to uh, hurt Brandon Wimbush, lose Brandon Wimbush in that regard. Uh, but here's what else I'll say. Like, I don't, I feel like Brian Kelly has said before that he felt confident that he could use Ian book without hurting Brandon Wimbush. And it doesn't seem like he must've been being truthful with that. And I don't understand why he can't go to Brandon Wimbush and being like, okay, so like, here's, here's what we, after three games, here's what's happened. You know, we've done really well in the scripted part of the game. You know, we've gotten some good drives, but certain things aren't working. So if we get into a situation where we're up 13 to three or whatever, and the offense starts just sputtering, 
then we can we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna throw Ian Book in there to throw the defense a curveball and maybe score a touchdown, but it doesn't mean that your bench is a starter. It doesn't mean you're not coming back in. It doesn't mean anything. It means we're we're trying to win the football game. And I don't get why that hasn't happened yet because I'd have, you know, in both the Ball State and the Vandy games, I'd have thrown Ian Book in there even if it was for two, three drives because – and then you might make the argument, well, Ian Book has no rhythm, blah, 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 blah. Well, is Ian Book with no rhythm any worse than whatever the heck the offense looks like when – the defense decides, well, we're just going to load the box and you can go ahead and run your read options and um, and all of that, whatnot, and, but we don't think that you can beat us throwing the ball. I mean, what's worse? I, I don't know. So I don't know. I'm stumped and I'm frustrated. And like I say, it just comes back to uh, just you can tell that to a certain extent Brian Kelly doesn't feel great about Brandon Wimbush or else there's no reason for him to take Brandon Wimbush out of the game when they're inside the five-yard line. Like, I don't know. So it, it just it's hard to rationalize for me to just kind of wrap this thought for a second because this has been a long-winded monologue on my part. <laughs> um, and I apologize. I'll get you back in here in a second. No worries. But to... <laughs> No, I, I, I'm flustered, Jack. I, I can't. So it seems pretty obvious that what happens to Notre Dame's offense at times is that teams are like, okay, we're going to sit on, especially when they get in like a shorter field situation, like when Notre Dame gets in the red zone, that they're going to sit on the run because Brandon Wimbush is the, the pass that he makes the best is like the over-the-top throw where he doesn't have to be real precise and a receiver can kind of run and go get it or make a leaping grab and go get it or do whatever. Um, not the type of throws where on third and five, third and six, you're trying to fit it in between, you know, a linebacker and a safety on a slant pattern or something like that. Um, so it seems to me like teams, and this is why Notre Dame yesterday couldn't score in the red zone, a touchdown at least, you know, the field is much shorter and you force Brandon Wimbush to have to be able to throw the ball into short windows, uh, smaller windows. You know who's probably better at throwing the ball into smaller windows? Ian Book. So... <laughs> I don't know. I, I just feel like, to a certain extent, the defenses are going to say, okay, move the ball between the 30s as much as you want. When you get to the red zone, you're not scoring a touchdown because Brandon Wimbush isn't going to be able to fit the ball in between you know, two defenders, uh, nor does he want to, I don't think. And you're going to have to settle for field goals. And as, you've, as we've seen, you know, um, Justin, you missed one kick against Ball State. The one he missed yesterday, I think, was a bad snap and also maybe not the greatest hold because of the bad snap. So anyway, I just think we're really severely limiting the offense because we just have at least one quarterback that can't do the things you need a quarterback to do to score touchdowns. And I apologize because I just talked for like 10 minutes. Um, but I've, I've felt very passionately about this, as you can as you can tell. Yeah, and I mean, you're certainly not the only one, that's for sure. And, and yeah, all valid points. Um, I, am I I'd nuts? Say I mean, am I nuts for thinking? Because like, I think that a two-quarterback system could work. Yeah, I... In this I case. Mean, it, 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 certainly, it certainly can work. And I mean, there, there are plenty of examples of it working in the past. It's, I don't know, maybe it's just my my own personal beliefs. I just, it's just not ideal. And, and I don't know, I... I would just be afraid that, you know, in 
tougher situations or, you know, just uh, tougher environments. If you're playing bad and, and still trying to rotate these guys in, then you can almost kind of just like dig yourself a hole um, where, you know, both guys can't really get into a rhythm and, you know, they're alternating every other series. Or, but do or they have like. a rhythm now? Does Brandon Rimbush truly have a rhythm? At times. I think at times, okay. definitely. But I mean, okay, okay, so that's fair. That wasn't a that was kind of a dumb question. He gets into a rhythm at times, but like, doesn't he also lose it for a whole awful lot of time? Oh yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, I mean, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying, I guess, is like if Brandon loses that rhythm, like it doesn't have to be. You don't have to go into a game necessarily, in my view, saying, "Okay, Brandon, you're gonna get two possessions, and then Ian, you're gonna get two possessions." Like I don't think it has to work that way. I think it's like okay. We're gonna go. We're gonna see what the you know what happens, Brandon. You're gonna start, and if you're just lighting the world on fire, then heck, we're, we're not gonna play in book. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I just feel like, and I just feel like because Brian Kelly mishandled the quarterback situation so badly in 2016 that he doesn't want to do this. But this is the time that he needs to do it, in my opinion. Sorry, I cut you off, and I'm doing all the talking on this podcast. I want to hear your thoughts more. I promise, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm just so, I'm just upset. I, I don't, I don't know. I just needed this hey. event session. I think. Hey man, I, I, I totally understand it. Like I said before, you're not the only one. I think all, all, all of us ND fans, as, as a collective, uh, have needed to be talked off uh, a ledge. Uh, way too early this season, that's for sure. But as I alluded to earlier, uh, all great problems to have when you're undefeated three games into the season. So um, still, I mean, we can still look at this glass half full. Uh, but um, as, as we were talking about before, I, I kind of wanted to get into how, you know, this first quarter of the season ha- may have sort of changed our our outlook Um on this team sort of overall. So coming into the year, I was of the belief that I thought they, they would drop uh, three games over the course of the season. Um, but I was, I just really wasn't sure which, which three games I just kind of like at face value of both what we had on our roster and uh, the slate of games on our schedule. It just, it just seemed like, like a nine and three type season. Um, and w- w- with with any other uh, predictions or feelings like that, obviously, there uh, I would leave room for some variance for sure. Um, but I mean, from what we've seen so far, even though I may have thought that that Michigan game uh, had one of the better chances to be one of their losses this year, uh, I mean, I think there's the, the, they could still very easily drop three games in uh, in the the latter parts of the season. Um, I think this trip to Wake Forest is going to tell us a lot about this team, like the first red chip of any season does. So I'm excited to see what they do there, see how they come out and see if they're, if, you know, if they can't get a lot of stuff going in the first half, what adjustments they make. Uh, but yeah. And, and hopefully we just see a lot more offensive production than, than we've seen these past three games. Do you have any more clarification on, you know, which three you're worried about. Yeah. So I, I think the those back-to-back weeks hosting Stanford at home and then going to Virginia tech. Um, I, I mean, I think it's very possible they could drop both of those uh, if not just at, at least one. Um, 
I mean, if we get to that point of the season and they're 6-0 and after beating Stanford at home and then going on the road to Lane Stadium and beating Virginia Tech, uh, my my outlook would, I, I think, take do a complete 180. And I would think at that point, just based on what we've seen of those teams on their schedule in the second half of the year have shown so far, um, I think they – yeah, if they if they get through Stanford and Virginia Tech unscathed, then they have a very real possibility of either running the table or, or going eleven and one. Yeah, so I've uh, and it's interesting you said that because I was kind of on the I think this is a ten and two type team with the next best scenario a potential eleven and one, especially if they beat Michigan. And you know, after week one, I was like, yes, I'm a genius. <laughs> um, I, I've obviously kind of sobered off that thought for for at least the time being. But then I look at the schedule and I'm like, and I just think to myself, yeah, Stanford is going to be a tough game. I mean, they just jumped Notre Dame in the meaningless AP poll, but uh, they jumped them to seven, uh, which I'm not really sure what they did to really make themselves look like a seven seed, but it doesn't matter. Um, but that being said, like I think to myself – all right, let's take these two games that are on the horizon. Uh, looking past Wake Forest to a certain extent, because I think, you know, okay, well, actually, we'll lump Wake Forest in. In these next three games, all right, do I really think, and I'll ask you, do you really think that either Wake Forest, Stanford, or uh, Virginia Tech can score more than, say, well, we'll go with Notre Dame's average on offense, 23 points? Like, can they score 23 points against the Irish defense, any of those three teams? Um, Obviously, they so. can. Yeah. But, I mean, what's the likelihood, I suppose, do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, good point. As far as likely, I mean, yeah, this defense, I, I, I saw a stat that Doug Farmer tweeted out earlier today. Um, out of all uh, – college teams that have played three FBS opponents so far. The only three that have not given up more than 17 points a game were Minnesota, Alabama, and Notre Dame. So, I mean, this, this defense, they, I mean, they've been playing lights out. Um, And I like at times I think they could, uh, you know, kind of give the opposing offense a little bit just to, um, and then just kind of, just stiffen up as, as they get closer into the red zone. But I mean, they, they've proven to be very disruptive so far. And I think they'll probably finish the year easily within the top 15 of defenses in the country, especially at least as far as scoring is, is concerned yardage wise. I mean, they're giving up some yards. I mean, they gave up some yards against they out, they got outgained by Vanderbilt. Um, not by a lot. And the yardage that they gave up was not astronomical by any means. Um, but, but still though, like to circle back, like, I just, I don't know. I I just can't, I don't know out of all the teams on Notre Dame schedule. I just feel like uh, Wake Forest is probably the team that I know the least at this point. Um, but I just have my doubts given that, you know, their quarterback from a year ago has moved on and that's its type of situation. I just have my doubts that Wake Forest is going to put some sort of rip roaring offensive performance together. I think Notre Dame gets to those two games that, you know, those back-to-back games, 2-0, or 4-0, I mean, and, you know, I I have serious, I've watched Stanford play twice now. I think their offensive line is pretty bad. <laughs> I think that uh, when Bryce Love has gotten 
um, yardage. It's been because he was able to break contain because he's a really good player. Um, but I think Notre Dame is better than any defense that Stanford has played this year. I mean, I certainly think Notre Dame is better than USC. Um, so I don't know. So like, I, I understand why people are a little bit to a certain extent, like apprehensive about Notre Dame going forward. But at the same time, I still look at them and I'm like, man, as bad as their offense has been, you know, their defense has been j- equally just as good as the offense has been bad. And I don't know. I just don't. The other thing is that, you know, Virginia Tech, we thought that they looked well, pretty good against Florida State, but then Florida State has looked awful. So Mm -hmm. I I don't know. It's it's weird. College football is weird. I think we can suffice it to say that. Um, You know, I I hope they at least split Stanford and uh, Virginia Tech because that'll continue to give them something to play for, I think, moving through the rest of the year. And, you know, if they do that, I think that would be a good recipe for 11 and one because, you know, I mean, they're laying, they're laying eggs already. So if you're worried about five games away from Notre Dame and seven, the last of the last seven, like, well, they're, they're laying eggs early in the season. They can still win when they're laying eggs. So if anything, it's given me that affirmation, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree. I would say, yeah. The only thing that could pose, and an obstacle uh, as we move past the bye week is just how weird the travel schedule gets. Right. Uh, but I mean, as long as they're over to, to overcome that, yeah, those, those last five teams on the schedule have not really impressed a whole lot thus far. I mean, we, we can continue to monitor them going through, but yeah, I, I, I just, <laughs> I mean, I guess you, you look at like USC and you can kind of understand that, all right, you know, there's probably a, there's definitely an adjustment period as as they're working in a true freshman quarterback, but they just have not looked nowhere near as good as I thought they were going to be this year. Um, the same, I mean, FSU is just a complete enigma. Um, yeah, <laughs> but then I, again, I, you know, given how athletic they are, they could put it together by November and they could be you know the best, you know, maybe even sub 500 team that Notre Dame's ever played. But yeah, go on. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, and and Cam Akers may, may be the best running back on their yep. schedule. Yeah, he's he's yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll see. And it's yeah, like you said, they have a ton of talent on that roster. And when you have like guys who are that talented, and then you put them in a prime time spot in a place like Notre Dame Stadium, regardless of how their season has gone thus far, you know, you can see them, you know, wanting to get up for that game. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, there's been a lot said about how. The, the second half of the schedule was <laughs> was organized. I guess it's it's kind of manageable because you, you have the one West Coast trip right after the bye week, which um, which isn't too crazy. And then while you're playing on the road the following week, it's at Northwestern, just outside of Chicago. So you're still close to South Bend. Yep. And then you got the home game. And, and then the last two, which <laughs> probably angered fans the most, which right. is at, at Yankee Stadium and then all the way out to the Coliseum. Yeah, it really wouldn't be that bad if they hadn't moved that game out to Yankee Stadium. Um, you know, we wouldn't be talking about it at all if that wasn't the case. But I don't know. Shamrock series and stuff. I think I think that's uh, – I, I mean, I don't know this for sure. I have no inside information, but I just get the feeling that that m- might be uh, – short for the world i think uh going forward not that notre dame neutral sites games are going to uh you know completely go away but like uh, because i think forward i believe they have the the home and home with wisconsin 
at Lambeau Field and then Soldier Field, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I can see things like that continuing, but I don't see them uh, doing a whole lot of, I don't know, like the moving a home game all the way across to so that it's basically a home game for the team that they were supposed to play, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, Um, real quickly, we only got like three, four minutes here, but I uh, wanted to ask you this question just because I don't know how I feel about it. I saw that, and I don't know if you caught this tweet from uh, Pete Sampson, but he was talking about how in the press box a lot of people were talking about would Notre Dame have made the college football playoff last year if they had Alohi Gilman in the uh, defensive secondary? Do you have any thoughts? Um, I mean, it's 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 certainly an interesting thought. It's kind um, of a stumper, isn't it? It's kind of like, oh, man. Like, they were so bad at the back end of the defense. They're just a little better. Do they beat, say, Stanford? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an intriguing thought experiment. Um, but, I mean, it's still, like... I don't know, is Alohi Gilman starting at safety? Like we've we've talked about before, is that like, you know, that boost on the defensive side of ball enough to overcome the struggles that Brandon Wimbush had late in the season. Right. Um, Because certainly I I think like you don't beat Miami with Alohi Gilman. So you'd have to look at the other two losses to see if he would have made a difference. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, you know, it's hard to quantify. I mean, he might've made a difference coming up and stopping Bryce Love and then, you know, same thing, I guess, with Georgia stopping Nick Chubb and some of those other guys, but I don't know. Yeah, and even though he plays on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, a defensive player makes an impact play, and, you know, you get a little momentum uh, for your offense, too, whether it's, you know, creating a short field or, you know, just, just an impact play, creating a turnover, something like that, where you can affect the offensive side of the ball as well. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean... Yeah, like I said, interesting to think about. Uh, kind of painful too because you see some players who were granted immediate eligibility after transferring, and yep. <laughs> you kind of just think, "Oh, well, great, you know, Andy screwed again." Yeah, we're looking at you, Shea Patterson. <laughs> you liar. Anyway, all right. Well, I think that's a, a pretty good um, wrapping point for this one. Um, we're gonna try to do this, uh, I guess, post game show. Um, at the Under the Dome podcast every Sunday at about 7.15. So if you guys that are listening either in um, live form or in podcast form later, if you want to tune in, uh, you can always find the live link on um, underthedomend.com. We're going to try to fit into this little kind of like 7.15, 8 o'clock slot between uh, – I think it's a good time because the 4 o'clock NFL games are kind of wrapping up and then uh, Sunday night football starts at like 8.20, 8.30. So we're going to try to nestle ourselves into that little lull. So as you uh, you know are flipping channels, I suppose, between those those games, uh, come on over to uh, Spreaker.com and then hopefully eventually YouTube Live and all of that as we get some of the kinks and whatnot ironed out and uh, you can listen up to some uh, Notre Dame stuff. And as always, you know, it's like I say, it's released afterwards in podcast form as well on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, everywhere that you can find a podcast. Basically, there's a podcast called under the dome there so um thanks listeners for listening once again uh before we sign off jack uh, where can they find you on twitter you can find me on twitter at leniart underscore nd leniart spelled l-e-n-i-a-r-t 
and yeah, for all ND stuff and uh, I guess some some miscellaneous tweets sprinkled throughout the week as well. Indeed. I'm Ben Belden. You can find me on Twitter at bbelden330. Don't forget to check out the Under the Dome podcast at underscore, oh boy, at Under the Dome underscore ND as well. So that does it for this one. Uh, thanks for listening and go Irish. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.